There is a fifth dimension, beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. It lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Episode 5 of Dimensions, a Twilight Zone podcast. In this episode, we will be discussing Episode 5 of Season 1, titled Walking Distance. It was written by Rod Serling, directed by Robert Stevens, produced by Buck Houghton. In the cast was Gig Young, Frank Overton, Irene Tedrow, and Ron Howard. Music by Bernard Herman. You can watch it on Hulu, Netflix, the CBS All Access app, and the DVDs if you own them. The air date was October 30th, 1959. Warning ahead will be spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, cut this off watch it come back and listen to the rest of it and as always you can email me any comments feedback or anything else at dimensions tz podcast at gmail.com well what is there to say about this episode this is by far one of the most popular most loved most watched and usually one of the highest rated Twilight Zone episodes in the entire series. Serling even hinted at it being somewhat semi-autobiographical in nature, um, although in later years he sort of picked it apart for the lazy writing that he said he was guilty of in this episode with the way the exposition of the character of Martin Sloan comes out. He went on to explain in later years that had he to do it over again he wouldn't be so clunky with the exposition as far as when Martin Sloan talks to the gas attendant at the beginning of the episode and would have let the nuances of the character come out more organically than it came out in the finished product of this episode. So we have Martin Sloan who arrives in this little town or should say this little gas station outside of this little town and he is very impatient very curt very rude to the attendant working there and something i always found that was kind of weird is he went out for a sunday drive so to speak because he had to get away from the city he had to get away from the noise and the the wants and the needs of other people constantly after him that he felt it necessary to get away to escape And he comes out to the countryside and decides, I'll stop and get some gas and maybe an oil change. But I guess that speaks to the harried nature of the situation where he just had to get away. So Martin Sloan, age 36, which is apparently what all the ages of all the men in the first season of The Twilight Zone who were businessmen were, they were all 36, which coincidentally was... Rod Serling's age at around this time in 1959, which lends a little more to the biographical nature, so to speak, of this episode. 
So Martin, while he was sort of rude to the to the attendant at the gas station, realized he was kind of being a dick, and so he decides to sort of be a little nicer to him, and he notices a sign at the end of the road that says Homewood, one and a half miles. Since the attendant told him it'd be about an hour, hour and a half before he could get his car back, he decides that, you know, that that's walking distance. Mile and a half, you know, you can walk that with little to no trouble whatsoever. And since that happens to be his hometown, he decides to take a little stroll. Now, one of the interesting things about this episode, this is a time travel episode, of which there are quite a few in the Twilight Zone series. Um, this one being the first one, obviously. Um, but this one, there's no magical music. There's no wavy lines. There's no... He gets disoriented and blurry and wakes up and he's in the past. It doesn't happen that way. You just see him saunter into the drugstore like he's lived there his whole life. And he doesn't realize that he is in the past. And in the past in this episode happens to be 1934. So he saunters up to the counter of the drugstore. And, of course, he tells the clerk, you know, well, I used to live here. And does that whole, you know, spiel that this happens. And... He decides to order a chocolate soda with three scoops of ice cream. Now, you might be wondering, Bill, what is a chocolate soda with three scoops of ice cream? Well, for those of us under the age of 70 who might be listening to this, a chocolate soda with three scoops of ice cream is they take chocolate syrup and whatever kind of ice cream you want, chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, whatever they have, and then they put that in a glass, mix it with seltzer water, and then that's a chocolate soda with three scoops so martin orders the chocolate ice cream with three scoops and the soda jerk says it'll be 10 cents to which of course martin kind of you know looks at him funny and says well you're gonna lose your shirt charging that much but you know because that's you know a real low price in 1959 for a chocolate soda with three scoops so that doesn't really tip him off you know, it could just be that it's a small town. They might still be a little behind. But FYI, $0.10 cents in 1934 would be roughly equivalent to about $0.90 cents today. So he gets his soda, and he's sitting there enjoying it, and he talks about how nothing's really changed since he left the town 25 years ago as it is to now. And he says he even remembers, you know, old man Wilson sleeping in his chair in the back room when he was a kid there before he died. And one thing about this episode, another sort of anomaly, is that the soda jerk, while Martin is saying this about, oh, Mr. Wilson's still sleeping in his chair in the back before he died and all this, the soda jerk never once says, well, you know, Mr. Wilson's still alive. As a matter of fact, he's napping out back. Would you like to talk to him? He never once says that. And of course, the soda jerk doesn't say anything. So Martin still has this feeling of being in 1959, even though he's back in time in 1934. So I always thought that was odd, but had the soda jerk actually said something like that, I'm not sure if the rest of the episode would play out quite exactly like it does, because a good portion of the episode is Martin figuring out that he's actually in the past and what he plans to do about it. So he takes a walk and decides to go by his old house, where out front across the street is a little boy playing marbles, who is Ron Howard in his, what accounts to basically his fourth on-screen appearance. Now, as I said, this episode 
aired on October 30th, 1959, and the first episode of The Andy Griffith Show aired on October 3rd, 1959. So Ron Howard was still relatively, you know, wasn't America's sweetheart yet at this point. And Ron Howard made mention of calling Martin's old house the Sloan House from when, you know, he used to live there. And Ron Howard called it the Sloan House, which should also have been another indicator of why would they still call it the Sloan House if, you know, his parents are dead and everybody's moved away. So he keeps walking toward town, toward the center, toward the park, where as a child he used to spend a lot of time because there was a bandstand and a carousel and it was the park and that's what, you know, people did back in the 30s. And he winds up talking to this woman who he says, you know, I even carved my name in the bandstand one summer when I was a kid. And he looks over and he sees a young kid that looks like himself as a child carving his name in the bandstand. So he goes over to him and he says, are you Martin Sloan? And the kid says, you know, of course, I wasn't doing nothing, mister. I wasn't, you know, everybody carves their name in this thing. I wasn't doing anything wrong. And he runs away. So he chases his child version of himself back to his old house and he interacts with his parents to which of course they slam the door in his face not knowing who he is thinking he's just a crazy person and then the next door neighbor is outside polishing his car a 1934 roadster with a rumble seat and as the kid said first one off the line in Detroit you know my dad bought it for me yesterday you know first off the line like it was brand new from 1934 so it's at this point that it dawns on him that you know oh i'm in the past so this brings about one thing that only happens in three other episodes of the twilight zone and that is that there is a middle of the episode narration by rod serling and years later he again said that he put that in there due to the um lack of suitable story to fill the time so to speak it was a a cheap way of getting out of killing some time. So by this time in the day, it is dark out, and he's still wandering around. So he goes back to his old home and tries to talk to his dad. And his dad, you know, says, well, you're back again, huh? And Martin said, well, I had to come back, and said he felt for some reason that he belonged there. So his mother comes to the door, and... He starts basically accosting her, you know, screaming at her. Why don't, you know, why don't you know me? I'm your son and all this. And he even pulls out his wallet and tries to show her his ID. And she slaps the taste out of his mouth and it makes him drop his wallet. He's basically at his breaking point, And so he decides to run back to the park to try to find his younger self saying, well, I've got to find Martin. And he runs off. Now, one thing I always sort of thought was weird was that his parents, neither his mother or his father, decide to run after him and stop him. I mean, most parents, if some random crazy person said they were going to run after your child and look for him, uh, you'd probably follow after him and probably beat the daylights out of him or at least detain him until the cops could come. But it doesn't happen in this case. And Martin gets back to the middle of town to the park where the merry-go-round is and he sees his younger self on the merry-go-round and decides he needs to talk to him because he wants to tell him you know about life 
So, of course, here's this strange, crazy man again running after him, and it makes the young Martin Sloan jump off of the merry-go-round and hurt his leg, to which this, of course, also affects the grown-up Martin Sloan, who sort of doubles over in pain and grabs his leg. Now, what follows directly is, I think, one of the most interesting scenes of the episode is that you see older Martin, as they carry the young Martin away, to his house the older martin is like in this spotlight and all the light around him goes dark as all the children and all the people walk away from him and he's basically just in this spotlight and he starts to talk in a soliloquy basically about how he just wanted to tell him that that this was the best time of his life and to enjoy every minute of it and enjoy every second he can of being this age and in this time and in this place because it'll never come again So Martin is left sitting on the edge of the merry-go-round since it stopped and all the people have left and his dad comes walking up to him and he says, you know, the boy will be all right, but he'll have a limp, the doctor says, but he'll, he'll be okay, he'll recover. And then this exchange occurs. Martin. Yes, Pop. You have to leave here. There's no room. There's no place. Do you understand that? I see that now, but I don't understand. Why not? I guess because we only get one chance. Maybe there's only one summer to every customer. That little boy, the one I know, the one who belongs here, this is his summer, just as it was yours once. Don't make him share it. So you can see that even Mr. Sloan who has basically no idea why a grown-up Martin would be back in 1934. Even he has some fatherly words of wisdom, you know, for the for the older Martin. And I always found it very touching. And then the episode and Rod with his writing uh, hits you with this little exchange between the father and Martin. Martin. Is it so bad where you're from? I thought so, Pop. I've been living in a dead run, and I was tired. And one day I knew I had to come back here. I had to come back and get on a merry-go-round and eat cotton candy and listen to a band concert. I had to stop and breathe and close my eyes and smell and listen. I guess we all want that. Maybe when you go back, Martin, You'll find that there are merry-go-rounds and band concerts where you are. Maybe you haven't been looking in the right place. You've been looking behind you, Martin. Try looking ahead. Maybe. Goodbye, son. Goodbye, Pop. Now, as awesome as a scene as, as that is, I'm reminded of a theory of psychology called mindfulness where the basic tenets of it are in the past is depression and in the future is anxiety so all you can do is live for the present and i definitely think that applies in this situation and in this uh, episode so once again there's no squiggly lines there's no magical music there's no blurriness 
we just see Martin Sloan walk back into the drugstore, except this time he kind of wanders up to the to the counter with a limp, and he hops up on the chair, and he says to the soda jerk, he says, well, these stools aren't very kind to bum legs, and it's now daytime again, and the soda jerk asks him if he wants anything, and Martin says, yeah, how about a chocolate soda with three scoops? And the soda jerk says, you know, yeah, I can I can do that for you, but three scoops, it'll be extra. He said it'll be 35 cents, which is more in time with the 1959 um, cost of a chocolate soda with three scoops, which with today's rate of exchange would cost somewhere in the neighborhood of $3.10. He then tells the soda jerk to never mind the order and uh, tells him, you know, that he used to live around there and used to like the merry-go-round and all that. And Soda Jerkia says, yeah, you know, they uh, they condemned that about 15 years ago. And he said, I guess it was too late for you, meaning that he heard his leg falling off the merry-go-round. And he said, yeah, too late, I guess. So as the closing narration happens, we see Martin limping back to his car, paying for his oil change and gas, getting in and driving away. Now, on to the crew and cast. Robert Stevens uh, directed this episode, and you might remember he also directed the pilot episode titled Where Is Everyone? Or Where Is Everybody, actually. Um, And I think he was a good choice for director. I think he really knocked it out of the park with the pilot episode. And considering how beloved this episode is, and how it, it constantly tops the lists of a lot of people's best episodes. And if you watch it, you see that it is very well written, very well acted, and very well directed as well. And I think he does a fantastic job. Now, he also directed 44 episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents and 106 episodes of a TV show, which was a former radio show called Suspense which, if you have the time, check out some of them. They're pretty good, too. If, like me, you're a fan of old-time radio and old television shows, give it a look. Um, Alfred Hitchcock Presents and Suspense are both very good television shows. Now, Gig Young, the star of the show, Martin Sloan, um, he was born in 1913, and he died in 1978, at the age of 64 years. Now, his real name was not Gig Young. His real name was actually Byron Barr. But he had to change his name because there was already a actor by the name of Byron Barr in Hollywood. And you couldn't have two people with the same name, so he had to change his. And he did a, did a movie in 1942, and his character's name was Gig Young, and he just happened to really like that name, and so that became his stage name. Now, ten years after this episode would air, he would win Best Supporting Actor Oscar for his role in the movie They Shoot Horses, Don't They?, from 1969. For a brief time, he was married to Elizabeth Montgomery, which you might know from Bewitched, and was also in the in the episode of the Twilight Zone titled 2, starring Elizabeth Montgomery and Charles Bronson. Now, a little more about Gig. He was actually cast 
as the role that Gene Wilder played in Blazing Saddles. But due to the fact that he was pretty much a full-blown alcoholic by this point, and he had a lot of issues on the set due to that, that Mel Brooks uh, fired him and hired Gene Wilder for the part instead. And sadly, it doesn't get any better from there on out. Uh, In 1978, Gig Young murdered his wife and then turned the gun on himself and committed suicide after years of psychiatric care. So, on to the trivia portion of the episode. Um, Of course, Gig Young, as I said, had Gene Wilder's part in Blazing Saddles, but had to be let go due to his problem with alcoholism and the health effects it uh, had on him there, too. Getting back to the semi-autobiographical nature of this episode, the park in the episode was modeled after Recreation Park in Rod Serling's hometown of Binghamton, New York, where he grew up, where there was a bandstand and merry-go-round and all that. And as a matter of fact, on the bandstand in that town today, there's a plaque commemorating, you know, that that park was the model for the park on this episode. And also... On the gas station in the beginning of the show, it uh, it has a sign that says Ralph Nelson, proprietor. Uh, Ralph Nelson was the production manager on this episode and on many, many episodes of The Twilight Zone. So that was a little nod to him. As far as goofs, um, there's really none to speak of. This episode is pretty much near perfect, as perfect as it can be for a 1959 television show. And it definitely stands the test of time, in my opinion. So on to the moral and philosophy of the episode. Um, Of course, the moral of, you know, stop and smell the roses and you can't go home again. Pretty much beats you over the head from the beginning to the end. But not in a too sweet and sentimental, syrupy sort of way like something on the Hallmark Channel would try to do. Uh, This hits you... A little more in the in the realism aspect of it that that you have a man that's basically an everyman who is fed up with life is fed up with everything and he just has to get away and that was his escape to go back in time to his hometown and sort of relive a little bit of his youth or at least see it through fresh eyes and back to the semi-autobiographical nature of this episode. Uh, I think this pretty much mirrored Rod Serling's life at this time. I mean, he was around the same age and was constantly in demand, working 16, 18-hour days, writing for other projects as well as trying to write and produce for The Twilight Zone. It uh, really professionally and personally took a toll on him to where he actually had to sort of step away from the Twilight Zone. But we'll get to that a little later on down the line. But maybe I think Rod was trying to tell us that no matter who you are, whether you're a janitor or whether you're a vice president of an ad agency or whatever you do, that there is always time and you should always make time to slow down and at least catch your breath. And sort of take a look around and stop and smell the roses, so to speak. To be too trite and and too sappy. 
to slow down, to experience life and not just live it, maybe. And I think that is laid out in possibly the best way it could be with the exchange between Martin and his father at the end of the episode that we played earlier. It, uh, it's, it's really a, a very touching and very moving piece of television. And I recommend, even if you have seen it lately, watch it again and just kind of take that in. Now, on to the likes and dislikes of the episode. Um, as you can tell, this is definitely one of my favorite episodes of the entire series. I really love it, and I try to watch it every now and again just to watch it. I mean, I could probably recite the entire episode frontwards and backwards, but it's one of those episodes that every time I watch it, it's like watching it brand new again, even though I know everything about it. But I think Gig Young's performance was phenomenal. I think uh, the entire cast, the father, the, you know, the boy even, Ronnie Howard even, you know, they, they all fit perfectly and they all did a phenomenal job. And I also think that this episode is definitely one of the best um, time travel scenarios or example of a time travel scenario trope in sci-fi that I think ever took place. And the fact that they didn't rely on, you know, the magical music or the wavy lines or the blurriness to go from present day to past day back to present day again, I think actually added to it and didn't detract from it. And this episode is very, I think, closely related or maybe a, a sister episode or, or what have you of another episode that's coming up a little later called A Stop at Willoughby, which we will get to in time. Uh, I think it was well-directed, and it is definitely one of the top five episodes of the entire series, and it's it's really a home run. Now, as far as dislikes, um, my only complaints with it are um, really just the exposition, how we get to know who Martin Sloan is. It doesn't come as organically or as piecemeal as it could have been had Rod Serling done it just slightly better. And he even admits it himself that he could have done better. But, you know, with the time and, and with all the pressure he had on him, the fact that he got what he got out of it was, I think, fantastic. So it's not really even a dislike. It's just a little, you know, there's always got to be a little something wrong. And if that's the little something, then I consider it a win. And the other thing is, is I wish we'd have seen what he did between the time that it was afternoon to when it got dark. Uh, I think there could have been, I think if this was stretched out into an hour long episode, it would have been uh, probably one of the best hours of television that was ever, ever created. So with that, let's move on to casting for today. If this were shot today, who would I cast in the roles in the episodes. And I think, if it were me, uh, Martin Sloan would either be played by Joel McHale or Jason Bateman. I could see either one of those two in the role and, and do phenomenal. Um, for Mr. Sloan, I would think Billy Bob Thornton would be a good fit for that. Because once again, small role, big actor. You know, and... Uh, why not throw Diane Lane in there as Mrs. Sloan? Why not? Just for fun. Give her a little something to do as well. So this would be the part of the 
listener feedback portion of the episode, but as I have no listener feedback at this time, I will skip that and go straight to the preview of next week's episode uh, entitled Escape Clause, which is about a hypochondriac who decides he wants to live forever and kind of doesn't like the outcome. So, the clock on the wall is uh, telling me it's time to go. So, if you have any questions, comments, hatred, recipes, anything you want to send my way, uh, email me at dimensionstzpodcast at gmail.com. And I will see you next time. Good night, everybody.